I want to welcome everyone here today to this Agape Christian Fellowship meeting. I'm Lynn Hardy, the pastor here at Agape. Before we begin today's message, I want to reassure everyone. We've talked in prior messages on YouTube about the coronavirus. This is the time of the pandemic. We have got messages coming in from many people who, whose family or they themselves have been diagnosed as positive. There is nothing to fear, the Lord said, if we will take refuge in him and seek his face. Go back and listen to those messages and take hope and faith in that. He didn't say that we would not test positive. He didn't say that we would not have symptoms, but he did give us the answer. There would be no need to fear. Just seek him, seek his face. And today we're gonna talk about seeking him in the secret place. What is the secret place? What is the difference between that and heaven? We're gonna define the two so that you can be encouraged before you can know, before you can enter in, sometimes it's helpful to know what exactly the secret place is. I'm not gonna say you can't enter in without knowing it because the Holy Spirit just pulled me up short and he said, oh no, there are many people who have been to the secret place and they didn't even know it existed. They didn't even know it was a secret place when they were there. I happen to be one. So my first visit was before I knew that's where I was. So let's take a look at the scriptures, at the word of God, so we can accurately define heaven and the secret place, the difference between the two, and our rights in both of these. Now, it is a fact that no one really knows how big heaven is. Heaven is beyond our comprehension. Even with all the science and technology we have gained in this day and age, heaven is still beyond us. But one thing we know is that if you have accepted Jesus, the only begotten son of God as your Lord and savior, then heaven is your final and eternal destination. Now remember, the word eternal means forever and ever. <laughs> you know, a hundred years here on earth might seem like a long time when you're going through it, but how many of you have reached the halfway mark of 50 and you look back and it's so short? Yes, it truly is short compared to heaven and the eternity we have there. Whether or not you're just curious about heaven, whether or not you're hoping to visit there, there are three distinct aspects that you should know about heaven before we begin talking in depth about how to visit the secret place where Jesus is and seeing him face to face. First, we must define heaven. We must know our rights in heaven. And then we need to know the secret place of the Most High. Establishing these things will make coming into a face-to-face -face visit with Jesus a lot easier, a lot easier to understand and comprehend. We need to lay a solid biblical foundation for 
these types of visits. First, let's define heaven. People who've had a near-death experience, you might know it as an NDE, or they have been taken to heaven and experienced it as something vivid beyond description. How many of you have heard of one of these types of visits where it's all bright and sparkly and flowers are singing and, you know, heaven is way more than here on earth? This is one aspect of heaven. But let's look at the word of God and what it says about that mysterious place. Now, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was originally written in Greek. We must always be aware that there are two languages going on, because in the Hebrew Old Testament, there is a word that is used to refer to heaven. It's called uh, Shemayim, Shemayim, S-H-A-M-A-Y-I-M. I should have probably looked that up on how to pronounce it. <laughs> so there is an actual Hebrew word, and it refers to the unseen or invisible realm. It is both plural and singular. Most Christians agree that it is a spiritual realm because Jesus declared that God is a spirit being. That was in John uh, 4.24. In the American King James versions, it says, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Since Jesus is God's son, well, he should know exactly what God is. And since God is a spirit being, we know that he, and that he knows he lives in that Hebrew place called Shemayamin. Oh, Isaac, where are you when I need you? You know how to pronounce that word. That, that he lives in heaven. It's logical to assume that that heaven is a spiritual dimension, a spiritual realm. It is a place that we cannot contact by our physical or natural senses. Now, the Bible tells us in, in Genesis 1.26 that God is a tripart or a three-part being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we are created in his image, his likeness. So is it any surprise that we have three parts? In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, again, the American King James Version says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we have a spirit, a soul, and a body. If we did not have each of these three parts, Paul would not have taken the trouble to mention each one specifically in this scripture. The spirit is the part of our being that is most like God. He is a spirit being. We are his children created like him as a spirit. Most of the time we cannot see or feel this part of our person with our natural bodies. Then we also have a soul, that's our mind, our will, and our emotions, and we live in a body. That's our physical house, 
in which we dwell. Now, in Hebrew, there is a word also that means spirit, ruach. It's translated as spirit. So in the Old Testament, we see the word spirit used. However, in the New Testament, in the Greek, we don't see it as often because they usually call it the inner man or our heart. It's that inner man, that heart of us that lives forever with God as a spirit. It is through that spirit that we connect with heaven. Now, there have been some who physically traveled to heaven, but that is not as common as visiting there in the spirit. Now, heaven is mentioned as God's dwelling place in Amos, Genesis, Corinthians, and even Matthew 5, 34, it says, but I tell you, do not bind yourself by an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne. You see, heaven is mentioned all throughout the Bible. Two of the scriptures that help us establish it as an actual place are here. Amos 9, verse 6, it says, it is he who builds his upper chambers in the heavens and who found his vault over the earth, who founds his vault over the earth, who calls to the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. You see, it's the Lord who builds the upper chambers in heaven. In 2 Corinthians 2, or 12, 2, it says, these are both an amplified version, by the way, amplified classic. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in body, in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up to the third heaven. Look at that. You know, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. And he doesn't know it was whether or not in the bodily form he went to heaven or in the spirit form. This is a mention of a third heaven. The Bible doesn't really mention a first or a second heaven, but it's logical to assume that if there is a third heaven, there's also a first and a second. It is widely accepted that the first heaven is what surrounds us on the earth. It's the part that we can immediately connect with on this earth. Since nothing is actually written about the seven heaven, second heaven, we have to surmise what it is from what we do know. The first heaven is where man is in contact. The third heaven is where God lives. Well, this, there's a space in between. And I believe that's where Satan and his minions currently reside. I believe this because of the book of Revelation, verse 12, I mean, the chapter 12, verse 7 through 9, and this is the ESV version. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. You see, there's going to be a big war in heaven. There's already skirmishes, but there's going to come a time where there's a great tribulation. And this chapter in the book of Revelation gives a chronological list of events 
we go over that in the course in Revelation in the Academy, it shows you um, how to interpret those as a chronological list of events. And so we know that Satan will reside in heaven until a certain point. We know that it's during the tribulation because of the verse right before it, it says Revelation 12, 6, and a woman herself fled into the desert wilderness where she has a retreat prepared for her by God in which she was fed and kept safe for, a, for 1,260 days, 42 months or three and a half years. You see, that's that tribulation period of three and a half years. So it happens right before the tribulation starts. However, I know that there's a great debate because in Luke 10, 18, our Lord said, I saw Satan falling like lightning flashing, like lightning flash from heaven. So how can our Lord at his times that he saw Satan fall and yet revelation predicts that he falls later? Well, there are two possibilities. Either one, Jesus was talking about a future event. He was actually seeing the future, which is very possible. Or Satan was kicked out of the third heaven and kicked down to the second heaven, which is why it was lightning flashing. It didn't make contact with the earth. So perhaps now that is the reason why I believe he resides in the second heaven. The important thing to remember when discussing visits to heaven is that Satan loves to imitate God. This is found in Isaiah 14, 14. He is called the deceiver in Revelation 12, 9. He often appears as an angel of light. That's 2 Corinthians 11, 14. Satan can appear in many forms, even one that we assume is Jesus. We have to learn how to test the spirits as Paul commanded us to do. But that is the topic that is covered in the academy classes. So we won't cover it again here. The most difficult thing for us as humans to understand is how we can be in heaven and located here on earth at the same time. You see, our physical bodies register the physical world and we think of everything that is not the physical world as not being real. That creates a great difficulty for most of us because we want something tangible that we can touch with our fingers. And by definition, the heaven is an unseen realm. It's a different realm that is not the same as the physical realm. I don't know where the verse is, but the Holy Spirit's bringing it to my mind. You know, the Bible tells us that the unseen realm is more powerful than the physical realm, that everything here was birthed out of the spiritual, which makes it more powerful. It's just because we can't see it, we have a tendency, tendency to think it's less. When in actuality, that is what's in control. Now, 1 Kings 17.1 tells us that, says in Elijah, the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, as the Lord of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, 
there shall not be one be due nor rain these years, but according to my word. You see, this addresses the fact that you can be in two places at once. Elijah was standing before human people. They did not see God standing beside him, but Elijah could see in the spirit and Elijah could see that he was before the throne of God and he was speaking what God said and it would be as God said. Now we also see it in the New Testament. John 3, 1, 3 in the King James Version says, no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man, which is, which is in heaven. You see, this was our Lord speaking. He was speaking to those right there before him. And he was saying, right now, I am in heaven. He also referred to himself as the son of man. He wasn't calling himself the son of God. He was calling himself a man upon this earth. And as he is in this world, so are we. We may be standing on this earth, but we are likewise in heaven at the same time. We are in the spiritual realm at the same time. It, sometimes it helps to think of it like an echo. What we do here is echoed in the spiritual realm. It's not quite, it's not exactly the same, but it's still portrayed there somehow. When I've been in the secret place, whatever I'm feeling, whatever I want to do just happens. I have zero control. This means if I'm happy, I laugh out loud. If I'm upset, I get pouty. You know, it's great to be before the king of the universe and become a pouty child. I'm, I'm telling you what. Um, so whatever you're doing here is echoed in the spiritual realm. It's important now that we know that we are in the spirit at all times and that our spirit self is there. We want to know what rights do we have in heaven? So let's take a look at our rights in heaven to rest assured what to do there. In Ephesians 2, 18 and 19, it says, for through him, we both have access by one spirit into the father. Now, therefore, ye have no, are no more strangers or foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and of the same household of God. And Hebrews 12, 23, in the Amplified Version, it says, and to the church, the assembly of the firstborn who are registered as citizens in heaven. See, we don't, we're not only in heaven and a part of heaven as a spiritual being, we have rights there. We are ambassadors, citizens of another country who are just here on earth as a representative of another country, of heaven. Every Christian has, is, has citizen rights in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.20 in the Amplified says, so we are Christ ambassadors, God making his appeal as it were through us. You see, we have a job here. We have a job to represent our homeland, just like the ambassadors from another country who have their residence there in your country. That's who we are in this world. Now, should not a citizen of America be allowed to visit America? 
how odd would it be if you were a citizen of a country and you had never lived there, you'd never visited there. We see this in the New Testament that Paul had previously written to the Corinthians. But rather, what we are setting forth is wisdom of God, once hidden from human understanding, but now revealed to us by God. That wisdom which God devised and decreed before the ages of, uh, for our glorification to lift us up into the glory of his present, presence. None of us rulers of this age would have, or sorry, none of the rulers of this age or world perceived or recognized or understood this. For if they had, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. That's 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 8. You see, the whole purpose of Jesus coming and dying was so that we could be a citizen now and we could have rights. We could be lifted up into God's glory. And if the enemy had understood what he was doing, he thought he was getting rid of one, Jesus, the son of God, but instead he opened up heaven for all of us. It's important to know that he would have never done it if he had understood what it meant. In the King James Version of the Bible, the Greek word doxa, translated as glory, or in the Amplified ver Version as glorification, according to Thayer's Greek's lexicon, it means of that condition with God the Father in which in heaven to which Christ was raised after he achieved his work on earth. In other words, with Christ's death, he, Christ rose to God and he took us with him. He took the right, the ability to go with him, to join him in heaven. Now, there are some verses which can seem a little confusing. Satan would love it if people would not seek face-to-face -face visits with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit if we thought it was impossible to visit in heaven and receive directly from God. Romans 10 verse 6 says, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven. If you look at just that part of that scripture, it seems to say, don't even ask yourself who's going to go up to heaven. That's just, you know, silliness, right? That's what it seems to say. But we must examine everything around this scripture to understand it. The previous chapter in this is dedicated to explaining to the Jews who were arguing about getting a new revelation. You see, they didn't want to accept Jesus as the way to heaven. They wanted something else to come down from heaven. And Paul was insisting that Jesus was the only way. They were, the Jewish people at that time were insisting on obeying the laws of Moses and becoming righteous through their own works instead of righteous through faith in our Lord. If you look carefully at this quote, at this scripture, you see that there are quotes around, do not say in your heart, right? Um, or, or who will ascend into heaven. This means that it's quoted from another source, another place in the word. 
So we have to go to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 30, 12 that says, it is not in heaven that you should say, it is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. See, Moses was here, or Paul was quoting Moses. Because if you research Deuteronomy, you'll see that they had the law of Moses and they didn't want to follow it. They were looking for someone else to come from heaven with a new thing. They're like, oh, okay, we don't want the law anymore. We want you to bring something new from heaven. And so once again, the Jewish people were, didn't want Jesus. They wanted something else. So they were, so Paul was telling them, do not say who's going to go up to heaven and bring something back down for us, something new. This is why Paul pointed out that to do so would bring Christ down. In other words, it would destroy all that Christ did if somebody else had to go up and bring something new. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way into heaven. He's the only way into the Father's presence. This is why Paul was quoting that verse from the Old Testament about not looking for somebody to ascend, to go up to heaven and bring back a new word. Word. There were many examples of people who did that in the Old Testament. And Paul's like, nope, this is it. You got Jesus and Jesus is enough. Okay, let's continue. In Galatians 1.8, in the King James Version, it says, but though we or an angel from heaven should preach any other gospel unto you than this, that which we have preached, let him be accursed. The word gospel means good news. You see, visiting heaven Visiting the secret place isn't about getting a new message. It's about fully defining and understanding the message we already have. Furthermore, any angelic visitation, anything anybody experiences in heaven should line up with the scriptures that are already in place. If it doesn't, throw it out. It's not from our Father. Now, the Old Testament sees many people visiting heaven. The most notable are Elisha, Ezekiel, and Jacob. Elisha was in 2 Kings uh, 6, 15 through 17. Ezekiel was in Ezekiel 1, 1. And Jacob was in Genesis 28, 10 through 19. This is what I mean by they were looking for someone else to go up and get another word because these people all had. Because we have these examples from the Old Testament, sometimes some people are saying, oh, that time has passed. Jesus came, he fulfilled everything. There is no need for anyone else to go to heaven. Well, I beg to differ. <laughs> we gotta look at the New Testament. John wrote the entire book of Revelation based on a heavenly visit. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, Verse two, verses two to four mentions heaven going to visit heaven. And Stephen in Acts 7, 55 through 56. This is ample proof that heavenly visits are for the Christian church, for the disciples of our Lord Jesus, as we all are. Remember, Paul wrote 
two thirds of the New Testament. And he talked about his visit to heaven. Second Corinthians 12, two verses four, let's take a closer look at where he mentions that. I know a man who 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to the third heaven. And I know that this man, whether in the body or away from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up into paradise. And he uttered, heard utterances beyond the power of man to put into words, which man is not permitted to utter. Most commentaries on this chapter believe that Paul was referring to his own, very own visit to heaven before he began his ministry and that he was going to be speaking to the Corinthians about this matter. If Paul preached and spoke about visiting heaven, it was a hot topic back then, and it still may be necessary to talk about today. We know that recently that there are notable contemporary religious figures from many different branches of Christianity who have visited heaven. Over the last two decades or more, People are coming forth with stories about miraculous encounters and their travels in heaven. Well-known ministers are speaking on that topic. Heaven is becoming close to earth and visits will become more and more common. Now, what is the difference between that and the secret place? We, we hear about the secret place in John 14, verse 2 and 3. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I pre prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be there also. Most people think of these rooms that Jesus spoke of as just a place where we go once we die that when we leave the earth permanently, we'll inhabit these rooms. However, on numerous occasions, the Lord has shown me these rooms. They are actually small areas. I can see the kind of a, like a force field dome glittering around and surrounding these individual places at the throne of God in heaven. Each little place is for one person. It's an individual area created just for you so that you can visit with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, could you imagine, you know, trying to describe a force field, little tiny area um, to someone in biblical times? A room is an enclosed area and a mansion is a vast place. And these secret places are not small, the place the Lord has created for you. So it is mansion-sized and it's set aside for each person. Room also implies a place of protection, of sheltering, uh, to be sheltered inside something. That is the secret place. It's a dimension set apart, totally protected by God for you. If you look at the longest prayer ever recorded by our Lord, you see that he was trying to reassure his disciples that even though he was leaving, they would still have access to him. 
In the first part of the prayer, he states that he's praying not only for his disciples, but for everyone who will believe on him based on their words. That's John 17, 20. Then the Lord continues with, Father, I desire that they also whom you've entrusted to me as your gift to me, be with me where I am so they may see my glory. That's John 17, 24. Jesus stated that he wanted us to be where he is. Well, he is in heaven. If you've read the other books on the Believer's Boot Camp series, you know that there is a power in a prayer of agreement. Matthew 18, 19 says that if two of you agree on earth as touching anything, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Well, we know God exists through every moment of time throughout eternity. And Jesus asked this of his father when he was on the earth. His prayers were always answered, yes, you know, by God. He would not have asked for something if it was against his father's will. So we can come into agreement with Jesus's prayer. This prayer of our Lord, we can be the second person in that agreement. We just say, Lord, I agree with you. Father, I, Lord, I wish to be with you where you are so that I may see your glory. That's it. That's as simple as it is to accept the prayer of our Lord, to come into agreement with it so he may open the door for you to the secret place. Now, visiting with Jesus seemed to be a lot more common in the time of this, this, the apostles. The book of Acts speaks about it. In Acts 3, verse 20, it says, And that he may send to you the Christ, the Messiah, who before was designated and appointed for you, even Jesus. So Strong's Concordance translates the Greek word, uh, apostolo as send the full more full meaning is to order one to go to an appointed place many people have interpreted this verse to mean that god is commanding christ the messiah to come into our hearts right but go back and read the verse before it then it makes much more sense it says repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that may, he may send Christ. Look at that. There is a presence of the Lord that comes, his presence into our heart and our life, but then he also sends Christ to us. This is referring to a tangible presence followed by a visitation from our Lord. The presence of Jesus is great, but visiting with him is so much better. It's also interesting to note, it says, repent, therefore, and turn back. This is the New Testament after Jesus died, that your sins may be blotted out. You have to turn back from your sins, then they're removed. Okay, let's continue on to the secret place. The best known places to hear about this, the secret place. It sounds so mysterious. 
The secret place of the Most High is talked about in the Psalms. Psalm 91 was a Psalm of Moses, and it begins the most powerful prayer of healing and protection with he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Okay, we have to learn how to dwell in the secret place. If we weren't meant to visit the secret place, how can we learn to dwell there? <laughs> so, so it is for us. Psalm 27, verse 5, it says, this is Dan, um, David talking about the secret place. For in the day of trouble, he will hide me in his shelter. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. That's the amplified version. So you see, there is a secret place in God that we can enter into. It goes on to say in that Psalm that it's a place where we're strengthened. We get advantage over the enemy in the secret place. It's where our Lord can interact with us directly. So what is the difference between visiting heaven and visiting the secret place? They're two separate spiritual dimensions or realms that are connected together. Think of heaven as the entirety of the spiritual realm and the secret place as a place within that heavenly realm. It's, that's why it's a room inside of God's mansion. It's a place to dwell, to dwell in and to hide in, to be strengthened by our God, that we should be able to abide there and know our God. Now, in future weeks, we're going to be talking about how to enter into the secret place. It's important, even now, to know that it's not the secret place you're looking for. It's Jesus. It's our Lord. If you push into and try and find the secret place, you'll never get there. Jesus holds the key to the secret place. He is the only one who can turn it, and he won't turn it if you're looking for anything but him. So, the secret place is where we go. It's where we receive strengthening. It's a place in heaven. Our access is through Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And it's through him that we enter into the secret place. And we will discuss more on this topic next week. Until then, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word clearly shows us that the secret place is for each and every person. Father, it is our desire to meet with you, Abba, to meet with you, Lord, to see you face to face, to experience all that you have for us. So, Lord Jesus, help us, teach us how to seek you in spirit and truth. We thank you. I thank you, Lord, for opening the door to the secret place as each person walks the roadmap to heaven that you have given, that they find you as they seek you, and that they, that finding is in the secret place. In your name, the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. That is our meeting today. And now we will take some questions and answers. Uh, there is a question that came from uh, Emmy. Um, somebody sent that to her privately. So here is the question. Can what our children be doing 
if they are not following the Lord, affect us and our walk and inhibit us from being able to go to the secret place? <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, our walk is our own. Um, no one else in my family has visited the secret place. Not everyone in my family is in the same place I am spiritually with the Lord. My husband is an ex-Catholic. As I've said many times, he barely believes that heaven exists, much less that he can visit it now. You know, so um, so he's still on that path. God is still bringing him along the way. And what's important is that I do what the Lord tells me to. So this means that I'm listening to when to speak, what to speak to my family. I'm spending my quiet time with him. I have my own walk. And it's that walk which will determine the, when the secret place opens up. Yes, thank you. Um, can two people in worship be taken to the secret place at the same time? No. <laughs> the simple answer is no. I asked the Lord. I so wanted my husband to come with me. I was feeling God's presence so strong and the secret place was all around and and the Lord said, no, it's a singular solo, solo journey that is for you and you alone for the secret place. Um, however, when we go into the courts of heaven, it is a corporate move before the throne, which is different than the secret place. However, you must be spiritually connected to God and have your spiritual eyes open to experience the courts of heaven and have that gift from the Holy Spirit. He's the one who reveals it to us. I just add to what you were saying sure. about, you know, the spirit. Well, when we go to the secret place, it's our spirit that connects with God. And that's why we can't take another person with us, because it's a, a spirit connection one-on-one -on -one with the Father. And it's a spirit experience. So it has to be our own individual uh, connection. That's why you can't take another person with you at the same time thank you yes it's your focus your connection with the lord that opens that door each person has their own connection good job sandra thank you for that if you set aside the time could you now enter the secret place every time you pray so we have to always remember that it's jesus who is the access um, I've actually been kicked out of the secret place once. <laughs> so um, one time I must have, I can't remember what happened exactly. I irritated the Lord and he pushed me out and shut the door. I was like, ah, I'm outside. <laughs> what happened? So it's definitely as the Lord wills. However, um, the Lord, after a certain amount of time, he said he wanted me to set aside time each and every day and learn how to enter the secret place each and every day. So when we, uh, there comes a time when we walk this roadmap with God um, and we have this communion and fellowship with him that he, we learn how to abide, how to reside in the secret place. And I saw it like this, um, I was in the secret place and it's like the Lord, I saw these hands, right? Take the secret place that I was inhabiting. And it, he, his hands shrunk this down and then placed it inside me. 
And then it expanded and encapsulated me. And so I was actually abiding in the secret place. It was the strangest experience to abide in the secret place, to have him place that inside of me, inside of where my spirit was, so that I was abiding in it the whole time. And so, yes, once you reach that point, you are abiding in the secret place and each and every day you can go there. But it is a matter of setting aside time to pray and to focus on the Lord. And that is his, his desire for everyone, not just me, anyone who will walk the roadmap, anybody who will, who will search for him and seek him, they can find him in the same way. Okay, next question, Henry. Yes, next one. Since the secret place and heaven are different, what is going on with these stories of people saying they are taking others to heaven with them? Are they actually going to them or are they uh, going to, so I guess I think the wording should be, are they actually going to heaven or are some of them going to the second heaven? It is my understanding that yes, there are people who have ascension groups and that they're only visiting the second heaven. It's nothing more than astral projection um, that can be done without Jesus and without the Lord. Remember, he is the way to heaven. He is, without him being there, without him being in control, we are pushing somewhere where we don't really wanna go without him. Spiritually speaking, we are weak beings without him. Our spiritual selves are, in, you know, are not as powerful as the other angelic beings. So I never want to be anywhere in heaven without my Lord. And that is the difference. So you see, they are seeking heaven. They are not seeking Jesus. So when they seek heaven, they find heaven, but it's the second heaven, not where the Lord is. And it's where Satan can easily fool them. I've seen imitation courts, like the courtrooms of heaven, but they're imitation. They're Satan in his own place of power within the spiritual realm that he creates imitations to fool God's people. Um, mostly a comment. Um, it's from Grant and Claire. You got kicked out when you were questioning why spiritual things not affecting the physical. Is that possible? I um, don't remember. I don't remember. I probably mentioned it at the time in one of the messages, but I was I was kicked out for some reason. You know, the Lord just really kind of shut the door. He's like, nope, you know, and, and shut everything down. And uh, he has that right. And we have to know that he is God and he is king, even of the secret place. So off the top of my head, I don't know what I did, but that's okay. Cause he opened it back up again. Once my heart was in repentance and, you know, I came back and he was quick to open back up the door. It wasn't a permanent banishment, just a temporary, a temporary one. That's all the questions for now. I don't see any other question at this point. So we're going to start learning about the different aspects of the roadmap. And so we can take it one step at a time. So you can learn in detail the different aspects of what it takes to, to get there with the Lord. He 
said that he was going to give me a roadmap and he implanted this within me um, four steps easily to get into his presence um, how to seek him to visit with him face to face so and he said now's the time so he said do it again start over and i, I want you to take them through it step by step so we'll continue next week until then thank you guys for joining us and may God bring you much shalom. Mm -hmm. Bye, guys.